It's no secret that writing can be lonely work, but does it really have to be? Whether you're full-time, part-time, or just starting out, you'll get insights into the tricks, tips, and production habits of writers from every level of the biz. From best-selling authors to those launching their first novels, you're sure to be in the company of friends as we encourage great writers to divulge and share their secrets. This is The Great Writer Share Podcast with your host, best-selling author, Daniel Wilcox. Hello and welcome to the Great Writer Share podcast with me, Daniel Wilcox, where every week I hijack an hour or so of time from some of the kindest and hardest working writers around today to join me on the show and discuss everything that makes them tick, raw and bounce. Today's date is the 15th of June and we are less than two weeks away from the launch of my first non-fiction project, Collaboration for Authors. Um, very exciting on this side of things. I'm ramping up my advertising. I've got people reading the book. I'm hearing good things, which is always a positive because that's one of the scariest parts of ever putting a book out in the world is the fact that people have to read it and they will judge you and they have their own opinions and that's okay um but so far so good i'm hearing some good things and uh yeah the the ads advertising and pushing efforts are still going on so by the 26th of june the launch will happen things will be okay in the world and i'll be able to calm down a bit which will be wonderful also pushing forward on episode one of When Winter Comes, the first book is officially complete and edited and ready to ship. I am currently working on book two with the intention of working soon on, you guessed it, book three. <laughs> um, and I'm trying something quite ambitious, which I'm hoping goes well uh, and we'll see what happens on the actual releases. But I am going to go for a rapid release of episode one, two weeks later, episode two, two weeks later, episode three to see if I can get some momentum and get the book selling and hit it off with its best chances of success to start with. Um, I'm looking at launching on that on the 1st of July. So any horror authors or horror readers out there that wish to get involved and read the book, keep an eye out for things that are upcoming. And yeah, at the minute it's July the 1st and that's what I'm aiming for and giving it everything to get to. Uh, but we'll see what happens because there's a lot going on at the minute. So I'll do my best, but I'm only human. human. Human? Human. <laughs> Speaking of me muttering and stumbling over my words, uh, this week has been interesting in that I have actually taken three solid days off of writing, which is something I've not done in, yeah, so long that I can't actually remember. Um, the reason being, definitely got overwhelmed with a lot of, I guess just pushing very, very hard and trying to do so much all the time. And I think with the current state of things with the coronavirus and me living by myself, you know, I see my, my son on the days that I have him. But apart from that, there's not a, a whole lot of adult company. So I do spend a lot of time just working because, you know, what what the hell else is there to do? Uh, so I did decide to take three days off and I do feel so much the better for it. So um, at the time, I didn't want to. I just wanted to keep on working. But I was like, you know what? Just it's not happening. It's not working. Take some time off. Boom. Three days later, back at it and feeling so much better for it. So, you know, I preach it all the time and people <laughs> preach it to me, but take a break when you can. Your brain needs it sometimes. You don't have to push it every single day. Today's guest is the incredible Julie Heiner, who is a writer of dark crime and horror. Um, she's someone who I came across on a bunch of Facebook groups. She's someone who I've been speaking to privately about bits and pieces that she's doing her own work. And she's on a really interesting journey. Um, we, we cover the whole breadth of, of what Julie's been up to in this interview, starting at looking at her nonfiction in which she talks about a girl and a bike uh, where she cycled up a very, very big mountain with little preparation and then turned that into not only just a blog and a book, but also a way to enhance her mindset and bring that kind of um, spirit into the craft of writing. So there's a lot of really useful practical tips that you can take away from this episode. 
We also talk about her venture into writing dark crime and horror and how she's embracing a lot of the cultural visuals of the genre. If you visit her website at killersanddemons.com, you'll find a lot of very, very... I mean, you, you, you just get smothered in horror and it's it's freaking fantastic. Um, so it's definitely worth checking that out and just seeing how can someone can literally dunk themselves into the genre that they're trying to write in. Um, and there's a lot of what what a boring ass like myself called content marketing um but extra affiliate things that she's doing in order to widen that readership and they're very very creative and unique ideas and one of them and we go into it in the interview as well is that she takes uh, people's readings or people's short stories and then does readings online in a very very horror dark way which is very interesting to watch um and very flatteringly chose to use one of my stories as well so um i was more than happy to say yes you can use that and you can definitely check out the result. I'll pop a link in the show notes for that video for anyone that wants to see that. Um, but yeah, it's very, very exciting. There's a lot in this interview, like I say, that you can take away a lot of practical tips. So definitely stick around for that. Before we go into the interview, we're going to do a quick shout out to my patrons over at www.patreon.com forward slash The Great Writer Share, where for as little as $1 a month, you can get involved in a whole host of extra goodies. So you can get access to ad-free early access episodes. You can get uh, I'm going to say access again into the Great Writers Learn Library, which is going to be a growing resource for writers who are trying to improve their craft, um, as well as entry into the private Slack group in which we've got writers discussing what they're doing and just getting involved and joining the conversation. Um, and I want to say a very, very big thank you to HB Line, who is my brand new patron for this week, who joins in at the Great Writers Learn level. So hopefully there's a lot of resources there that you can uh, learn from and benefit from and all that good stuff so thank you hb line for getting involved and uh yeah let me know how it goes so without any further ado let's dive into the interview with the one and the only julie heiner julie heiner is a writer of dark crime horror and non-fiction Julie has been fascinated with the complexity of the dark mind of the serial killer and obsessed with trying to understand how murder can occur. Finding inspiration at a talk given by a local homicide detective, Julie surged down her new path to writing a dark serial killer novel. Julie's favourite parts of her newfound writing process are the detailed research, creating an in-depth character, and digging deep into his, her, or its mind, and unleashing her inner artist on photos to create the cover and marketing material. Julie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. No worries. It's uh, exciting to have you here. Obviously, we, we've met a couple of times in the past few few weeks, few months on various different Facebook groups. Um, and as someone who is a big proponent of horror, I, I thought it'd be fun to, to bring you on and obviously pick your mind because you're, you're doing some very, very interesting things, which uh, we'll, we'll come on to in a bit. But first, I did want to touch on um, just diving down the route of your nonfiction because you do have a nonfiction book out, which is just a girl and a bike. And uh, I wanted, I wondered if you could just tell us a little bit of background about how you got writing into the nonfiction side of things and maybe a little bit of a, a general background on, on where your writing started. Perfect. Um, so I actually had a fairly long career in computer science and um, most of my life I was really focused on reading and math and, you know, hiding behind books. I loved, loved reading loved getting lost in stories um, but I was really anxious and quite overweight uh, <laughs> both as a child a little better in high school but then in uh, university I hid behind the computer in the book and without required fitness and a lack of understanding of how to eat I gained quite a bit of weight and so I actually dealt with a lot of anxiety and stress around that and I, I was really uncomfortable 
with the physical part of my being. So what happened is I was almost 30 years old, had just got married and husband used to do a lot of cycling, decided we were getting bikes, um, <laughs> but road bikes. So your feet are clipped in and it's like, it's a real sport. It's not just a leisurely activity. So I went along with all this, not really having any idea what I was getting into. And got the new bike, was spinning inside because we do live in winter here, um, all winter. And then when he proposed we go to France for a couple of weeks to bike, I thought, oh, that sounds lovely. Like what, we're eating cheese and, you know, just cycling along. No, no, no. Uh, we actually showed up at one of the most famous mountains of the Tour de France called Elbe d'Huez. And it's really hard to describe. So I do have pictures of it in the book and on my website. And what happened was I literally was terrified because we, we, we got dropped off at the top. We went down, switchbacks, no guardrails, cars. I was really terrified. I was crying by the bottom. And I, it was the most incomprehensible thing sitting before me to try and get back up this mountain. And I did, I bit it off in pieces. So it's a 21 switchback mountain. And by wow. breaking it into switchbacks, I survived that day. And it was one of the most surreal experiences of my life because then we were sitting in the hotel having dinner and I'm looking down at these switchbacks and it was just like, I still couldn't believe I did it. And it opened up a whole new world for me. So basically, you know, every year we spent our two weeks uh biking up mountains and i would train for months for this so i thought like who is this julie and what happened is we were on a three-month follow the pro circuit for fun and do our own riding and we were in tuscany for a few weeks taking a break and i literally this book came to me and i just thought if one person reads this and ends up doing something that they're too scared to do that would be like amazing and more than one person has read it and told me that it has changed something for them and allowed them to face their fears and so I guess it was just in me to write and because I always loved reading and writing I just I took that plunge and I just I wrote it hmm. so that was just kind of a, it came to me and then I just put in the work to write it nice and do you think that if you had known what you were going to go up against during those those moments, do you think you would have so willingly gone ahead in the first place? Or do you think the unknown was actually a big part of getting you through that in the first place? Um, I'm not sure that I would have backed out if I knew more, but in a sense, it's probably good I didn't know. I think that sometimes if you don't really know how hard something is and you just do it, you just plunge yourself into it, it's probably better. Mm. Um, I think about years later when I climbed another one called Morty Rolo, and this was deep into my cycling life. And it's a, it is like Lance Armstrong said something about it being the hardest mountain he ever did. It's stupid, but I knew too much. And so the night before I did it, I was up half the night nervous and thinking about it. Whereas with the first mountain I climbed, I didn't really know. So until I got there, I was fine. And then I was terrified when I was there, but I didn't have a whole night of thinking about it. So in a sense, it's almost better not to know, but if you don't know, it's hard. that's a really hard question because if you don't know anything <laughs> at all, you can't prepare. 
but there's a certain amount that maybe it's better you you don't know so that you just once you're there you just deal with it but that's a really tricky question because you want to prepare to a certain extent yeah definitely it's, uh, there's, I'm, I'm putting in my head an analogy to writing there um but there was obviously there was a moment like you say you, you you got into this this cycling this became a thing you wanted to share that experience what what were the initial factors that actually made you put pen to paper and say okay i'm going to tell this story because obviously a lot of people spend their time experiencing these extraordinary things that would be beneficial to share to people but then yeah. as much as they think oh this would be a good story to share in, in paper in video however they want to no one not a lot of people take that step into actually actuating that and making it happen so how, how did you actually begin writing that book from from that moment well the framework came to me now i've like i said i've had a long career in it and i've done a lot of programming and written a lot of big documents so i guess i had some experience with organizing a piece of work like that so the framework came and i basically like i didn't really know anything about character development or plot because this was this was my story so i knew nothing about fiction but what i did was i just i wrote down i jotted down like what these chapters would be in kind of the purpose and each chapter has a different message and each story in each chapter has a different message and a lesson. So because it was based on what I did and all the things I accumulatively learned over like 10 years, I just, that framework came to me. Now, what I didn't know was that it is really hard to write a whole book. So I was writing parts that were just coming to me and they're very personal. And I guess I'm not, I guess the, the, the talent I have in, in that book is that I'm not embarrassed to, to share how, how, awful I you know I'm crying on the side of a mountain and and I'm you know I'm really there's a lot of embarrassing moments when you're when you're doing something really physically challenging like that and you're having all these self-doubts and you're telling yourself all these bad things but I just was really open with all of that so but then the next step was so I was still working full-time and it never got finished until I took a break because and anyone that does write a book while they're working like wow that's amazing I took a break (laughs) And I focused, like I treated it like a job and I was just writing all the pieces that were, say, less interesting that needed to be in there to bridge all the stories. And I just would sit down and and write pieces until it was finished. Um, And then I did get an editor and I, 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 I immersed myself in the local writing community and learned all the pieces about how do I put the book together once it's written. And I just did it. I wrote a project plan and I committed to it and I did it. I, I guess it. I really wanted to share that, that message bad enough that I, I wanted to. And I liked the challenge of trying to do something, write, writing the book, doing something that I'd never done before. Mm. Yeah, I definitely think a, a core part of particularly nonfiction of, of being able to put a book out there, out there in the first place is having, having enough of a, a passionate pull that you know that that's something, you, you, something worthy of putting out there, something that you really, really want to deliver. Um, I'm, I'm interested in your, your journey with your local writing community because um, obviously oh. writing, as, as I put in the intro of every one of these shows, writing can be quite a, a solitary art and surrounding yourself with people that are in the same situation or at least to know what the pain of writing can be is it can be massively beneficial just to, to get the ball rolling on, on, on a career. How did you approach finding people locally to you and what specifically was it that they did that, that helped you? Well, there's two parts of it. Part of it came to me. I was in a bookstore, saw a lady doing a signing, went up to her. Uh, she was very interesting. I bought her book and it was, it was wonderful. But 
I told her what I was doing. So I'd had the bike book together, like it was written, it was edited. I had no idea what to do next. And she said, oh, you need to go to this conference. And it turns out in Calgary, where I live, we have a conference called When Words Collide. It's an award-winning, volunteer-driven conference. So almost a thousand people go to this every year. And the reason it works is that people, not just locally, but people fly in as well to present. So everybody volunteers their time. So it's like a $50 thing for three days of nonstop. You could be in classes every hour. And what I did, so part of it was that it somehow came to me that I learned about this. But the other part was when I went for those three days, I go every year now, but the first time I went, I wrote a like a time like a schedule so I went through all the classes ahead of time and I went to every single one that had anything to do with self-publishing or creating cover art or anything like that because I wanted to just do this all myself because that bike book um I donate all the proceeds so I wanted to just learn how to do it all on my own and then keep the costs really low and so I went to non-stop classes and after I was done that three days, I wrote the project plan to, you know, produce the book and put it out there. But I was really, and I actually think it's probably not just here in Calgary. I think it's everywhere. But the writing community was amazing. I was reaching out to people after that I had met because they were doing presentations or we had chats in the hallways and they were answering my questions and helping me and supporting me. And then I learned that there's also a writing society in Calgary here. And so I'm part of that and they're constantly putting on classes and get togethers and they support each other. And then for a few years, I just threw myself in to classes and going to the conference every year and making that effort to get to know people and helping them and asking them when I needed help. And I, my, my viewpoint is that I can always learn. So I would love to always hear what someone else has to say because they might know something I don't know. Mm. It's an amazing uh, community. Yeah. I mean, firstly, from, from that, I want to say it's a, it's an amazing thing you're doing in terms of taking all the proceeds from that book and, and giving them to charity. I think that's really commendable to do. Um, yeah. In terms of the, the when words collide, if you could distill the biggest lessons you learned from that conference in your first year, what would you say that, that some of those might be? Oh yeah. So I focused on how to self publish my book. Um, but I think what I really took away from that is it, um, Oh, I took so much away. But I guess the biggest <laughs> thing was I was amazed at how supportive and encouraging the writing community was. And don't be afraid. If you go to a presentation and they say, here's my contact information, reach out. Don't be afraid to reach out and ask a question. And if it's something they can answer, they will. If they can't, they'll put you to someone else. But if they... Like, I just kind of thought, oh, I'm, you know, encroaching on their time or their, no, not at all. And then I learned that, so I started presenting as well. Now I present there and yeah, I learned that, right, everybody's here to give back. And so when they say reach out, they mean it. And when I say reach out, I mean, I love it when someone reaches out and say, oh, I went to a presentation. I have this question. And I think that over time, I've learned that um, everyone has slightly different process, different experience. So you just, you can constantly be learning from each other. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a, 
you, you can definitely feel when you go to those sort of conferences that the growth year on year within yourself and the different levels of the questions you're asking. And I think your, your point there about um, if people say, you know, reach out and help, there is a tendency for, for when you're starting out on your journey to feel like that's just a throwaway comment. But especially in my own experience, I found that to be true as well, in which when people do say that, if you do follow up nine times out of 10, they're, they're more than happy to help you and, and reach a hand back and keep pulling you along, which is, uh, which is very useful to have when, you, when you're starting to try and get into the writing game yeah yeah the if you were to take the the biggest lessons you learned from writing just a girl on a bike so we're looking wider at the conference now um i mean in terms of ways that you you got your information on self-publishing were they were they restricted mostly to the conference or did you were there other resources as well that were helpful in terms of of getting you up to the point where you could publish because but from from my research the the book came out in october last year if i'm correct 2019 um, no, the, the bike book came out like three years ago, January, okay. or sorry, four years ago. I think it was 2016. Oh, fair enough. So where, yeah. where did you get your, your information in order to get to the point where you were happy to self-publish that book? Okay. So, uh, for the editing, I asked other people and I actually got introduced to an editor through someone I know. Um, so that's not that helpful. But <laughs> to, learn, to learn how to print. So I did print and I did ebook. Mm-hmm. And so when I wanted to print, I'll just use that as an example. Well, how do you know where to print a book if you've never put a book together? So I, I reached out to about five people that I had met at the conference that I knew had printed their own books. And they gave me five options. They each gave me what they did. And so I did my own research on top of that. So I ask, and then I do my own research. So I'd have a spreadsheet that compared these printers. And I came up with, well, what's important to me in a printing service? And I found the one that most satisfied my needs. And I went for it. And I tried it. And I did that with all the pieces. So whether you're editing or printing or creating a cover or creating ebook, I would ask, say, up to half a dozen people how they did it. And then I would do my own comparison of their suggestions to see which best met what my goals and my needs were. And then ultimately, you have to just pull the plug and do it. Because I mean, you could be comparing options forever and never actually do it. Mm. Um, but then I ended up fine. Like I got the, the proof with the printing service. It was fine. So I went ahead and printed a bunch and the ebook is pretty standard now. Like a lot of, there's a lot of options, but you know, everybody's pretty much tried every option and they all pretty much work. So there were no problems with that. Yep. If you're looking for the next best thing to invest in, try investing in your long-term health with forward. Forward is intelligent medicine with a personal touch. Their doctors are dedicated to catching top killers like cancer and heart disease early, which could save you tens of thousands of dollars in the long run. So invest in a doctor that's invested in you. Visit GoForward.com to learn more about how Forward can help you manage your long-term health risks for one flat monthly fee. That's GoForward.com. So bring us forward now. You're at a point in which you are writing horror and you now um, have a presence on the web under Killers and Demons. Talk to us a little bit about what the differences are or what the differences are that you found between obviously writing a nonfiction and then going into a fiction project. Well, I think 
me personally, I think writing fiction was way, way harder. So I had, after finishing the bike book, I did go back into IT contracting and I'd finished a contract and I guess I was at a point in my life where I wanted to know if I could write a fiction book. And I totally, 100% thought this is going to be really hard, but I didn't realize how hard it was going to be. I would almost say it was as hard as climbing that first freaking mountain, honestly. Wow. Um, but maybe harder. I don't know, because like that, you know, the mountain was over after a few hours, but like this book, um, <laughs> it's really hard to write an entire book. And the difference for me between the fiction and the nonfiction, well, the nonfiction, I was writing from my heart and I was writing what happened to me and how it changed me and giving ideas to other people, how to deal with some of their insecurities and their fears. Well, it's, it was something I knew, um, the so I did the first novel I did is is dark crime bordering horror like if somebody likes Silence of the Lambs or Criminal Minds they would probably like the book um, when I went to write it I'd always been obsessed with the topic of serial killers and detectives um, but I knew nothing about how to create a character so when you start writing well who are you who is this person and how are you <laughs> writing them well. It was really hard. So, um, yeah, it took me, I gave myself kind of the time limit. I would like to be able to have this book written, like at least in the first form within a year. And so I was just, like I said, treating it like a job, like my other one. And every single day, five or six days a week, blocking out chunks of researching and writing because I really wanted to see if I could do it. And little did I know that a lot of people start and they don't get to the end no. But I just really wanted to see if I could write this this book. I really wanted to get to the end. So I think it was harder than the, the nonfiction because these are people that you are creating in a story you are creating. Like it's not based on what you actually have done or you know. You're creating this whole world. And I guess the biggest challenge for me was how do you know if it's complete shit? Because you're <laughs> writing it. You're so close to it. You can't see if it's any good or not. You really can't. It's, mm. an, it's amazing. Yeah, no, I, I love how honest and open you're being about this because it's such a, there's definitely an element of of truth to what the process is and how difficult it can be. And I think as as much as people like to say that, you know, writing fiction can be easy. And for some people, obviously, it's easier than others. You are building an entire world, like you say, and, and it can be very difficult. And I guess particularly, like you say, going from nonfiction to jumping into this fiction, um, yeah. was, your, was your progress slower? Did you find that deadlines were difficult to meet? Because you've also said a couple of times that deadlines have been incredibly important to you actually getting to the end of the book and even though they're self-imposed obviously they they had some kind of effect on you did you were you able to to meet those deadlines as as easily as you might have expected well I mean I think there were difficult moments and there were fun moments so the process for me like I remember days where it was really hard to write and days where I was starting to find that like you, you know, when you, when you start writing and you don't even remember what you wrote and you go, go back and you read it and you think, wow, this is cool. So I was starting to find myself as a writer because I was letting myself go into this process, but also it's practice. Like if you want to bike up a mountain, okay, you can show up without any training, but that I don't recommend that. If you get on your bike every day and do that hour, even if you don't want to, when you show up at that mountain a few months later, it, 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 it's never easy, but 
you get to a place where you're actually enjoying it and you're into it. Well, I think it's with anything, with writing. If you make a habit of writing most days, you start to get to that point. Like now I can just sit down and write. And it took me a whole year to be able to just sit down and write something that I'm making up without worrying about every word without thinking is it good enough but just writing and so I think because of the I was committing to doing those five or six days a week and I had time slots and I would just for some days I did force it but I think it comes with time and practice that it does get easier it does get more enjoyable and you find you find yourself as a writer and then you can just sit down and do it and actually really have fun with it. Um, the other thing was um, we lost a really close family member. Like I had started writing the book, I think November, December, and then January, we had a very unexpected sudden death and um, I was derailed. And it was quite an interesting personal journey because I, when I started to try to force myself to write again, I thought this is stupid, this doesn't matter. Why am I doing this? And then I remembered how she was one of the first people to say like, oh, I'm going to buy your book when it's done and I, I'll read it. I don't care how scary it is. And, and, and then I guess I realized, you know what, maybe sometimes things that you like to do do seem stupid or unimportant, but they're not. They're your passions and they're what drive you. And, and once I got back into it, I just didn't want to let go of learning how to be able to just sit down and write freely. Mm. So I did force it at times, but I think sometimes you need to do that. What was it that, that gave you the tenacity to actually stick your heels in in the beginning and say, okay, I'm now going to stick to this schedule of X amount of days a week and, and get that started? Because again, a lot of people get to the point where in their head they go, this is what I realize needs to happen in order for you to make some kind of success in writing. But the, the, the conversion of people that think it to actually doing it is is very, very low. So what was it that actually helped you stick with it in the beginning and go, okay, even though I know this is going to be tough, I know that this is going to require me putting in all this extra work and it's going to be difficult at times and I'm probably going to write crap. How, how, how in that, in that beginning moment did you put your heels in and just go, okay, I'm going to do this? Um, I guess like I look at the end. So I think if I get to the end of this year and I haven't done it, how am I going to feel just like there have been days like you show up, it's your one chance to do this mountain and you can either try to get up the mountain or you can go back to the hotel. And I think, how am I going to feel later tonight or later this month or later this year if I chose not to do this? Because in the end, when we set our goals for ourselves, it's really us versus us. We are either choosing to do it or not. One of my most favorite quotes that my brother actually gave me for my book, my bike book, is a uh, Henry Ford. And it's um, w whether we think we can or we can't, either way, we're right. Mm -hmm. So in, in the end, it was either I'm going to write this book or I'm not going to. And the other part of it is that I have a husband who has continuously showed me that failure is not not making it to the top of the mountain or not finishing the book, but failure is you didn't because you didn't try. <laughs> so I think for me, I've just learned over the years that partly I'm a kind of person that just when I decide to do something, 
I won't give up unless there's a really good reason. And the other part of it is I've learned over time how it feels when you didn't do something and you know it's because you chose not to. I'm, I'm smiling because I, I, I totally agree with that. And that's, that's pretty much identical to my viewpoint. If, you know, anytime I sit there and I, I feel crap or I feel like I can't just get down, do the words, do the things that I need to, that I know I need to do. I just actually picture whether or not you're going to regret it in 24 hours time in a year's time and see if it's in any way going to be contributing to you moving forward or whether you're going to be standing still. And I think that's such a, it's a, it's a powerful viewpoint to have. Um, and I know that everyone has their different ways of, motivating themselves and, and pushing forward but there's definitely one that uh, I, I use as well just because it's, it's very very powerful let's dive a little bit more into your your horror um so your horror and dark crime what was it about these particular genres that speak to you and uh how are you setting forth on your journey obviously you've already got um, a book out which is final track um but how are you moving forward in terms of creating this this horror fiction brand Okay, so I've, and like the kind of crime I write, it's really difficult to categorize. Like I said, it's closest to something like Silence of the Lambs. And what I didn't know was when Thomas Harris wrote that book, and if you recall, the the guy who was killing these women was skinning them and making suits. Well, that was actually based on a real serial killer that actually that kind of thing happened and he actually interviewed um john douglas who i'm obsessed with he he did the netflix series mind hunter and it's based on his books but actually it's his life so it's all real um he basically was one of the creators of criminal profiling in the 70s based on some of the worst serial killers in the world. And he interviewed these these killers and they show all this. It is a fictionalized version on Netflix, but it's so close to the truth. And I guess I just find that kind of serial killer, and we're talking like the Ted Bundys and uh, the Brudos guys. And like in, in, in BC, we had a, a pig farmer named Picton who... Oh, they found hundreds of DNAs on his property in the end. Anyways, we're talking about these guys. Everybody knows Ted Bundy, so that's a good example, who they will kill tens, twenties, thirties, hundreds of people. They can't and won't stop. And they all have a clear set of the same elements that make them up. And even though it seems that we're able to catch these guys sooner nowadays than we were before, for a number of reasons, it still happens. And so I guess I find that dark, I call it dark crime, but it's borderline horror because it is one of the scariest things I think, and it's true. And so, The reason I picked killers and demons is because I would love to be able to write both that type of dark crime that borders horror and horror itself. And I am actually writing uh, short stories in horror now. So that's coming. Um, So how to, I think your question was how to move forward. I, I wrote the one book and I've actually, book number two is with the beta readers right now and book number three has been drafted. So I've continuously pushed myself to keep writing and keep a schedule. And now I'm at the point where I can branch out and I'm starting to write more what people would identify with as pure horror. And so I don't have any of that out yet, but that is definitely coming. 
one thing I particularly like about the the Killers and Demons because I've been on the website. Obviously, we we've had um, private talks in the background. Um, you've recently done a reading of one of my stories, which thank you. That was uh, I, I was incredibly flattered by that, and I think it's awesome to to see other people enjoying fiction and putting that out in the wild. Um, you you definitely are building a very very strong um, visual image of the kind of stuff that you love and the kind of stuff that you portray. And one thing that I love about looking at the things that you're doing is you're very you're very strong at embracing what that image is of what you're trying to portray, if that makes sense. So obviously you've got things. So let me just read a little bit of the summary of, of what the Killers and Demons website says, which is, uh, welcome to Killers and Demons. Here you will be fed a toxic cocktail of 80s metal, ritualistic murder, and raw horror. Be prepared to uh, to have your skin prickled and your bones chilled, but not before you get in a headbang or two. Um, uh, I just, there's, there's so much of that I love. How are you approaching, number one, creating that, that strong brand? And Tell us a little bit more about some of the creative avenues that you're you're making in terms of putting more content out there that isn't necessarily related to the writing. Right. Okay. So I love to do a lot of different things. And I've recently focused this, this website because, I mean, I can get sort of, you know, like I, I like a lot of things. What I've realized is I love most is the writing and the reading. So I just want to go back to what you said about I did I did a reading of one of Daniel's um, stories from Twisted, which I just got. And if you do not have it, oh, my God, it's just delicious. <laughs> and I think for me, what the horror I love is it's like the original Jaws movie where you don't necessarily really see see what's under there uh at least not right away and the horror itself is about the emotions we feel so daniel's book all the stories i feel like they just take you to the raw emotion that any human being can relate to and it's terrifying and so what i've done on the website is i do makeup and i'm really playing around with scary makeup and doing videos of readings and i'm starting to do other people's that are giving me permission and daniel was nice enough to give me permission to read his story and what i love is that there's a visual component to it and then i'm trying to make the voice scary and i'm trying to take people back to that time when they were a kid and, you know, mom or dad was reading to them, except for adults. I mean, why shouldn't we as adults have that fun? Um, the other part of that strong visual image, so part of it is the horror, part of it is the 80s metal. And I know this sounds really weird, but like my biggest passions are 80s metal music and reading and writing. So um, when I wrote my book, Final Track, it ended up being placed in the 80s and it ended up being very much inspired by 80s heavy metal videos. So all the murder scenes are inspired by a video from the 80s. And where that came from is that's part of what I'm passionate about, and what inspires me and what I love. And you've got this raw 80s metal and then you've got this murder and putting it in the 80s. The other interesting thing about that is that you don't really have much internet you do have a bit of internet you do have a bit of cell phone but you don't have like all this technology like you do in some of these shows today where you can just solve it and so you have to really put the pieces together and do a real homicide investigation which is where the detective came in that I interviewed for that so I think I got away from your original question but you said that it was very uh visual and it's very clear what it's about and that's really good feedback because i am trying to make it 
clear that this is a very dark crime, raw, emotional type of writing and reading. And whether it be the heavy metal or the murder or the horror, it's, they're all to me, they, they have that raw emotion behind them. Part of the reason I'm asking is, is because I, number one, when you look at that website, you look at what I imagine would be a stereotypical horror reader's idea of the things that they want to see. There's definitely a, a, a vintage horror community of, of people that exist within that, that kind of design, that kind of brand, that kind of era. And I think you capture that quite well. And it's something that the people who've listened to this podcast and me and on uh, the next level authors podcast is that I'm, I'm looking at a lot of branding at the minute and that's something that, that comes across quite strong. But I, as a personally in my, t- let me try again, personally in my style of horror um, and my, my backstory and me as a person, I wouldn't be able to portray that as strongly as you would because that's just not an era or it's that, that's the kind of stuff that I'm not necessarily as familiar with. Um, but it's stuff that I think would definitely draw in a horror reader and lure them, lure them is the wrong word, bring them into the, the books that you're trying to write, particularly as you grow that and, and put that content out. That's good feedback because it is it is really hard to know how to brand and how to be clear about what you're writing. But I do realize the first book is definitely metal and murder, and so I focused on that for that part of it. Perfect. I we are unfortunately shortly running out of time, um, but I do have one main question before we go into our quick fire round, which is why do you, Julie Heiner, write? Oh, I write because there's nothing more delicious than losing yourself in a story. And I guess it's my uh, way to give back to all those people who I've read their stories and just had such a wonderful time. I want to, I want to provide that for other people. Beautiful. Okay, so we're going to go into our quick fire round now. I'm going to hurl 10 questions at you as quickly as possible. Uh, try and answer them as fast as you can, but obviously feel free to pass if you don't have an answer. It's all just in good fun. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. Who is your favorite horror villain? Hannibal Lecter. What's the best band of all time? Well, Guns N' Roses, the original. <laughs> Biking or hiking? Biking. Boats or planes? Planes. Who was the last writer to make you laugh? Sarah Johnson. She's local. What's the worst film of all time? The worst. Oh, the new Quentin Tarantino movie that's supposed to be about Charles Manson. I'm sorry, I can't remember what it's called. I'll find it. I'll put it in the show notes. Uh, What's your favorite beverage? Uh, Beer. Do you have a dream holiday destination? To go back to Italy. What's a Christmas present you wished you got but never received? Pass. <laughs> done well. Uh, what's your favorite season? Summer. Perfect. That's 10 questions. One bonus question is where can my listeners find out everything about you and all that you're working on? Killersanddemons.com. <laughs> Perfect. Well, Julie, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show. It's, uh, I, I genuinely mean this when I say I'm excited to see where your journey takes you and to see all the stuff that you're creating. And uh, thank you again for a wonderful portrayal of one of my stories. Thank you so much. This was wonderful. Thanks so much. No worries. And thank you everyone for listening and I will see you next week. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Great Writer Share podcast. Next week, the tables will be flipped and a mystery host will be interviewing yours truly ahead of the launch of a collaboration for authors. 
Don't forget you can get early access to every episode of the Great Writer Share podcast and the chance to ask upcoming guests any of your questions just by becoming a patron of the show. All you need to do is visit www.patreon.com forward slash greatwritersshare and support the show for as little as $1 a month. One more time, that's www.patreon.com forward slash greatwritersshare. Until next time.